This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. I love reminding people, Jesus may be exclusive, but he is the most inclusive exclusivist you'll ever find. No matter where you're from, no matter what language you speak, no matter where you grew up, no matter where you've been and what you've done, it doesn't matter. Everybody has a seat at the table. Come on in. The water is fine. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. Today. Today. Today with Jeff Fines. Welcome to Today with Jeff Fines. My name is Aaron. And in this episode, Pastor Jeff is looking at a topic we've all probably thought about or been asked before. Do all religions lead to the same place? Or in other words, how can we claim Jesus is the only way to God? Well, I'm keen to hear this message, so let's get into it now. Here's Pastor Jeff. Glad you're here, and I appreciate you inviting me to address such an easy topic. How can we Christians claim that Jesus is the only way to God? That is the most offensive statement in a culture of inclusivity. And I just want to tell you from the get-go, the first part of this message, okay, have you ever had a root canal? Okay, they hurt. Even though the dentist tells you they're not going to hurt, it's a little painful. But uh, it's essential for your health and vitality. So the first part of this, we're in a uh, worldview series, so there are going to be some tough questions. And I, I ask you, if you just go and stay with me through this. Something will click in the first half of this message, and then the second half, we'll just have a a party. We'll have a great time, but you've got to do the hard work up front. Uh, Before I started ministering in Southern California, I was in Savannah, Georgia as a teaching pastor for a couple years. Before that, 10 years in New Zealand, and before that, 10 years in Zimbabwe, Africa. So I've traveled quite a bit, and when we lived in New Zealand, Uh, The best kept secret about New Zealand is we get 282 days of rain a year. And the name for New Zealand, the Maori name, the indigenous people, is Aotearoa, which means land of the long white cloud. And the reason is because it's the land of the long white cloud. But we get about eight weeks in January and February. Uh, It's our summer. And all the major sporting events take place in those eight weeks. The America's Cup boat racing And then, of course, we have the New Zealand Golf Open. And my son Delaney, when he turned eight, I had promised him I would take him to the Golf Open, and I did. When you attend a golf tournament in New Zealand, it's quite different than the States. Here in the U.S., and forgive me if the the word is wrong because I've got so many cultural differences in my mind now, but we call them portalettes. They are portable toilets. You have them here as well, right? We have them here. You go to a golf tournament, they're everywhere, all throughout the course. But in New Zealand... 
They're all gathered together around the 18th green. So you've only got one place on the entire golf course. So if you're two miles out away from the 18th green and you need to go, it's trouble. Well, Delaney had a bunch of Diet Cokes and bottled water. And my little boy said, Dad, I got to go. Of course, I was at the farthest point away from the portalettes. I rush him back, take him into the little portalette there, get a Diet Coke and a hot dog while I'm waiting. About 10 minutes go by and he's nowhere to be found. And I go back over on the toilet door and I knock and I say, Delaney, I just need to know you're okay. You've been in there for 10 minutes. From the time Delaney was born, he's been playing practical jokes on his father. And so he loves to do this. He loves that his dad gets a little worried. But I said to Delaney, look, you need to tell me that you're safe and that you're in there. You're going to make me mad. Again, nothing. And so these portalettes are about six feet tall and I'm six, four. And so I put my hand right on top of it, you know, and I leaned it over just a little bit to give him a little fright, like he was having an earthquake because we have those in New Zealand too, as you know but no sound whatsoever. And then I threatened him again. I said, son, if you don't come out of there, it's going to get ugly, nothing. And so I had this thing off of its foundation. I had this thing almost horizontal. So you got blue water and other stuff coming out the sides. And I'm thinking there's no way he's going to want to stay in there. And then I just kind of threw it back up into its original position as if the earthquake shaking back and forth. About that time when it stopped shaking, I, there was a tap on my shoulder. I turned around and it was my son Delaney. And he said, dad, what are you doing? I said, evidently he had changed portalettes when I turned my back to go to the kiosk or the concession stand. And a little old lady from China walked out of this portalette. She had come all the way from China to see the New Zealand Golf Open. She was drenched in a mixture of stuff. And she looked at me and she spoke, I guess, the only English she knew. You're a very bad man. And of course, what I did at this point is I moved toward her uh, to explain that I'm sorry. My mama had raised a good boy. Uh, it was just a, a case of uh, mistaken identity. And as I moved forward, because there was a language barrier, she interpreted that as aggression. And so she ran, literally ran away. About 10, 15 minutes later, she came back with a policeman. Thank God the policeman just happened to be the chairman of our board of elders at the church I pastored in New Zealand. And he said, Pastor Jeff, what's going on? And I explained to him, and then he tried to explain to her, but again, the language barrier. Well, that was the first day of the golf tournament. A golf tournament lasts four days, so every time she saw me at the golf tournament, she, along with her three friends, sprinted to the other side of the fairway to get away from this evil man. And no matter how many times I tried to communicate, it was always interpreted as aggression. Now, that's a great example because I spend a lot of time on university campuses talking to our college students. And as soon as they find out I'm a Christian, it doesn't seem to matter how polite or subtle that I am. They know in their perceived idea of tolerance and inclusivity, they know what I believe. And that is that Jesus is truly the only way to God. That is offensive in a Western culture that places the highest value on tolerance and inclusivity. Now, in the past, stay with me now, we define tolerance and inclusivity as all people are treated equally under the law, no matter what you believe. And I think that's good. In America, you believe whatever you want, you're treated equally. You cannot be discriminated against. Uh, but the definition of tolerance and inclusivity, they have changed dramatically over the last 15 years. Now, when someone talks about tolerance and inclusivity, 
their idea in their mind is that not merely do we treat all people equally, but now all ideas and truth statements are equally valid and equally true. So if you claim to have a superior idea, especially in relation to religion, then you are seen as bigoted, as somehow superior. Now, notice the difference. Under the old definition of tolerance and inclusivity, people are treated equally, no matter what they believe, which is a good thing. Under the new idea, all ideas are treated equally. Now, the reason I begin that way is because before I talk to people about Jesus and why he is the only way to salvation, the only way to God, the only way to a hope and eternity, I, I've realized that I first got to address this misnomer or misconception concerning inclusivity, exclusivity, and tolerance. And I have to show them how this new definition of inclusivity and tolerance actually fails its own test. Now, let me step back for a moment. I had a youth pastor in New Zealand, uh, 33 years old. He wanted to be married more than any man I'd ever met. And he really wanted a wife. And finally, one day I said, let's sit down, Bill. Let's talk. Because I know you've been dating some Kiwis. This was in New Zealand. And so tell me, tell me what's going on. What kind of girl are you looking for? And he started to describe her. And after about 15 minutes, I said, dude, you're looking for Mother Teresa in Jennifer Aniston's body. <laughs> and there are two things about that. Number one, that woman does not exist. And two, if she did, she wouldn't be interested in you. So... Some people need a, a fresh dose of reality. When you're looking at any worldview, and that's what this series has been about, you're asking two primary questions. You're asking one, is this worldview inherently coherent? Is it consistent? And the answer is that it gives for origin, meaning, morality, destiny. And then the second test is, can it be existentially felt? What difference does it make in my life? The first thing we need to do with people on the way to show how Jesus answers these issues is to debunk the idea of inclusivity, that all ideas are equally valid and equally true. So I'm going to take you through five statements here. This is the hard part. This is the root canal. But after the root canal, we'll get to do some great stuff, and I think you're going to be greatly encouraged. Number one, inclusivity violates the foundation of reason and debate, at least the way it is defined today. Let me say it like this. Two statements made about the same thing, which diametrically oppose one another, cannot both possibly be true. If I say to you, my wife is pregnant, five minutes later, I say my wife is not pregnant, because those statements diametrically oppose one another, they cannot both be true. You with me? So when the Christians come along and say, Jesus is the son of God, died on the cross for the sins of the world, and claim that Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am, and claim that Jesus pre-existed Abraham, and according to John 1.3, Jesus made all things. He took part in creation because he pre-existed creation, that God himself, his name is plural, Elohim, to include God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that, Jesus in, uh, that God, rather, in Genesis said, let us make man in our own image, a triune God, we believe that Jesus is God in the flesh who died for the sins of the world. And the primary doctrine of Jesus, fundamental, is that you cannot be saved by merit or righteousness. There is no one righteous, no, not one. That you are saved by grace and grace alone. 
Salvation is not something that can be earned. A relationship with God occurs outside of religious effort of any kind. And your entire hope and future reside in a deep relationship with a person, not the result of personal merit or effort of any kind. Now, if you take that as the core fundamental belief of Christianity, then you place beside it uh, the view of Islam. And I'm not picking on Muslims. I'm just using one of the top or uh, most popular of the five world religions. Muslims will tell you Jesus categorically is not the son of God. It's blasphemy to even suggest that God could have a son. They will even tell you that he may have been a prophet and a teacher equal to, but not greater than Muhammad. In fact, Jesus did not die for the sins of the world. He didn't even actually die historically on the cross. He just appeared to be dead. And then they will tell you that salvation is based on merit, not grace. In keeping the five pillars of Islam, in making his or her pilgrimage to Mecca, if possible, and by being a good person, submitting ultimately to the will of Allah. So again, logically speaking, you put two worldviews side by side. They diametrically oppose each other. Sheer logic tells you that unless we're living in some kind of loony bin, both cannot be true. Second, inclusivity works under a false assumption. The assumption is this. Religions of the world are fundamentally the same, only superficially different. Now look at that again. Most people who don't know anything about the religions of the world say that religions of the world are fundamentally the same, only superficially different. When the opposite is true, the religions of the world are fundamentally at their core different, diametrically in opposition, and only superficially at best similar. Yet Joe Klein, March 7, 2007, Time Magazine said this, anyone who believes that there are inferior religions is a right-wing extremist. Now, do we really want to say that religions that offer child sacrifice are not inferior? Somebody will say, wait a minute, Pastor Jeff, we're not talking about sex, S-E-C-T-S. We're talking about the five major religions of the world, Buddhism, Islam, Christianity, Judaism, the problem with this, once again, is that anyone who states that these religions are fundamentally the same does not understand the core of these religions. And, and what I find on these university campuses, by the way, is it's always the Christian who takes the hit as if we're the only ones who are exclusive. But again, this comes out of a lack of understanding. Gautama Buddha was born a Hindu. He renounced two of the fundamental core beliefs or doctrines of Hinduism, the authority of the Vedas, the Hindu scriptures, and the value of the caste system. He did not accept these things as true. So he goes on his enlightened path. He discovers the four noble truths, the eightfold path, attempting to extinguish all desire in a nirvanic pursuit. And the point of all this is Buddhism was actually born out of a rejection of Hinduism and the major fundamental doctrines associated with it. Islam is also extremely exclusive in its claims. Atheism is the most exclusive religion of all. You say, wait a minute, is atheism a religion? Of course it is. Any statement about the absolute nature of things is a religious statement. And yet atheism, although it is a logical impossibility because the atheist postulates an absolute negation, they will say there absolutely is no God. And the only way you can say there absolutely is no God is if you have absolute knowledge, which no one does. So every faith system, you're doing well, I know it's hurting a little, but this is good for you. 
This is good. You can always get the CD and say, let me go through that again because you're going to have to face this sooner or later with a family member. And you can't just say, well, I believe Jesus away just because. That's not going to work. I just believe so. So somewhere along the line, we begin to realize that every true statement, every philosophy, and every religion is exclusive at some point. It excludes what is false or that which is diametrically opposed to its fundamental core beliefs. Steve Turner, who was an English journalist, speaking about this whole topic, said this. Now, watch carefully. We believe that all religions are basically the same. At least the ones we read were. They all believe in love and goodness. They only differ on matters of creation, sin, heaven, hell, God, and salvation. <laughs> Three, true inclusivists do not exist. This is what I've discovered in my life. There's no such thing as a real inclusivist when you define it as all ideas are equally valid, equally true. I had a neighbor in New Zealand, and we'd gotten to know each other. And after a few years, I decided the time was right to share my faith with him. And so I did. And I spent probably three hours talking about Jesus and why I believed he was the way to God. The way to God. And uh, he asked a few questions. It took probably three hours. And then at the end of the, here's what his response, here's his response. He said, Pastor Jeff, that's great. If that works for you, good. Okay, do you know what he, you know what he means, right? Pragmatically, he says, if that makes you feel good and, makes you, and helps you endure life, fantastic. And my response was, well, what if child sacrifice works for me? What if that makes me feel good and I can make it through life by, by killing little children? Is that okay? How about robbing banks? How about starting a cult and abusing children? And if that works for me, is that okay? Well, he said, well, I, I, I'm an inclusivist pastor. I think all religions are equal. And I said, really? Jim Jones? Charles Manson? And he said, well, all of them, but those two. All worldviews are exclusive at some point because truth by nature is exclusive. And I always like to say with a little tongue in cheek, if inclusivity is all it's cracked up to be, then why can't we include both the inclusivist and the exclusivist? So I asked Phil, what religion are you? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, you said all religions are equally valid and equally true. What religion do you follow? He said, I'm unaffiliated at the moment. Here's what I've discovered. Anyone who says that all religions are fundamentally the same and only superficially different, they don't belong to one. Because if they knew the core values and foundational truths, they would never make that statement. Do you understand where we are so far? We're simply saying that it's impossible to define or live in a Western culture where you say that all ideas are equally valid and true. It's impossible. At some point, at some point, you're going to say that that just can't work. When I come over to your house and I steal everything you have, and I wound you and shoot you maybe. And I say to you, well, my religion is that if I do this, I will gain more energy from the universe and live a longer life. I guarantee you're going to say, uh, I don't think that's true. Four, inclusivists claim that exclusivists are arrogant. Now, this is one of the things we face at university campuses. As soon as I sit down to talk with a group of college students, they, you can tell they're seething. And they, you know, they don't say it. Sometimes they do. You arrogant pastor. What makes you think that you've discovered the truth? Now, follow me on this. In the 1950s, a missionary in South America actually faced a similar question. So this is an old question. And the example that was given to him was this. The person said, I think the religions of the world can be compared to three blind men who happened upon an elephant. The first blind man puts his hands on the trunk of the elephant and says, elephants are long and flexible creatures. 
The second blind man puts his hands on the leg of the elephant. He says, no, they're not. They're thick and round like a tree trunk. And the third blind man puts his hands on the side of the elephant. He says, no, they're large and flat creatures. And then the statement is made that religion is like the elephant and the blind man. They all grasp part of the truth, but no one has the entire truth. Now, think for a moment. What's the problem with this illustration? The only way you would know that they all had part of the truth is if you yourself had all of the truth. You would have to see the whole elephant before you could say that each of them has part of the elephant. So how can you know that each blind man only sees part of the elephant unless you claim to see the entire? But that's what you're claiming nobody has. The entirety and the whole perspective of truth and God and his workings and doings in nature. Tim Keller has a great quote in The Reason for God, one of my favorite quotes. He says this, it's extensive, stay with me. Skeptics believe that any exclusive claims to be superior knowledge of spiritual reality cannot be true. But this objection is itself a religious belief. It assumes God is unknowable or that God is loving but not wrathful or that God is an impersonal force rather than a person who speaks in scripture. In addition, their proponents believe they have a superior way to view things. They believe the world would be a better place if everyone dropped the traditional religion's views of God and truth and adopted theirs. Therefore, their view is also an exclusive claim about the nature of spiritual reality. If all such views are discouraged, this one should be as well. It is not narrow to hold this view. Then there is nothing inherently narrow about holding to traditional religious beliefs. You hear what he's saying? He's saying, when somebody says, you Christians are arrogant, it's a self-defeating statement. Because when you accuse Christians of arrogance, you, at that point yourself, are claiming to have far more superior knowledge in your view of religion than the Christian. It doesn't work. It's unlivable. And finally, you okay? Everybody okay? Stay with me. We're almost there. The root canal's over. Five. Inclusivists claim it is impossible to know anything with certainty. That's what bothers them. Now, you can do this one, right? This is an easy one. A college student comes into my office and says, look, I come to your Bible study, Pastor Jeff, every week, and I really like you. That's always a good way to start. I really like you, Pastor Jeff. I mean, I like you. I like your teaching. I, I, I get something out of it, but there's only one thing about you that really disturbs me, and that is this. You seem to be certain about the things you believe. And I said, yes, what's the problem? He said, it is impossible to know anything with certainty. Now, you know my comeback, right? Are you absolutely certain that it's impossible to know anything with certainty? <laughs> These are self-defeating statements. They fail their own tests. Now, okay, it's over. Pat yourself on the back. Man, I mean, I don't know who this guy is, but man, my head's killing me, okay? Now, I love reminding people, Jesus may be exclusive, but he is the most inclusive exclusivist you'll ever find. No matter where you're from, no matter what language you speak, no matter where you grew up, no matter where you've been and what you've done, it doesn't matter. Everybody has a seat at the table. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. Let's go back to some logic just for a moment. If what I said about God and the nature of God is true, that means that if you get to a point in your life and you're saying, you know, there are other ways to God. Okay, when you say that, just make sure you understand what you're saying. Number one, you're saying the cross is not necessary. 
You're saying the cross and the blood of Jesus is not necessary for salvation. There are other ways. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Fines wherever you listen to podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.